So guys, uh, we need to talk. Can you dig it? Ugh, so bored. I wish to be entertained. Can you dig it? It's time for us to have a talk. Can you dig it? Yes. Dig it. Dig it. Dig it. Okay, dear. Close your eyes and clear your mind. Can you dig it? Baby, I can dig it. I can dig it. Check it out. Hello and welcome back to Dig This. I'm Scott Oz and this episode will continue with where I've been the last two episodes with my April Geniuses theme. Now, despite my typical unknown bands and artists that I would usually focus on, uh, these people that I'm focusing on, these geniuses, are a little passed over in their own right. I mean, sure, people know who Faith No More is, and the song Amish Paradise, perhaps, but how much do regular people know about Weird Al and Mike Patton outside of their diehard cult following? I would venture to say not too many. And while today's focus is certainly a household name, and has been for over 40 years, I feel he's another artist that many don't know that much about, outside of his handful of mega-hits and his super-popular 1984 movie and soundtrack. I mean, honestly, how much do you really know about Prince? I have no doubt that people all remember that he changed his name to a symbol at one period of time, but do they know why? Are they aware that outside the Purple Rain album, he's released another 40 albums in his life? Not to mention all the other projects and side things that he's a part of. This is a man that had a larger discography of unreleased material than most bands put out in the entire course of their careers. And that doesn't include all the gems that still lie safe within his vault. Though a few of those have started seeing the light of day at this point as well. In fact, as of 2021, there have been three official Prince releases after his untimely passing on April 21st, 2016 at the age of 57 due to an accidental fentanyl overdose. This means as of the taping of this show, we are about to pass seven Prince-free years in this world. And not a day goes by that I don't miss him. You see, I'm one of those lifelong Prince mega fans who've been listening to, collecting, and constantly being blown away by the talent of this man since the early 80s. I could say with confidence that I likely should not have been exposed to some of his lyrical content at such a young age, but outside of my mother's shock when I played in her caravan at the age of eight, it never really did me any harm. It didn't turn me into a raging pervert or make me question my sexuality before I even knew what that term meant. I knew he was controversial, but all I wanted to do was sing and dance along, and that's what I did. I truly feel blessed to have had the music of Prince as an integral part of my life for over 40 years, and I'm even happier to be sharing his story and music with you. But as with the previous two Genius episodes, this Dig This is only one part of the full two-hour tribute show being run here in the Electric Lounge of Oral Ecstasy, and I hope you eventually choose to hear the whole thing, provided you're not listening right now as I'm speaking. I also want to point out that I did a full four-hour tribute to him back in 2016, right after he passed, and that can be found online at theelectriclounge.blogspot.com. It's posted there for download, as well as streaming on SoundCloud, with over 4,600 listens at this point and constantly climbing. Not bad for no promotion, I would say. And on that note, there will be zero repeats of songs between this and that episode, but... 
back to the dig this at hand. Before I get into breaking the man down himself and scratch the surface of what he accomplished from 1975 to 2016, my music focus here on Dig This tonight will be as follows. I'm going to play a piece of a popular song that he wrote for someone else and then play his original version which was not officially released until the originals album came out in 2019, which is the second of the official Prince releases after his passing. So let's get this started now with a popular Bangles tune you might remember from 1986. Here's Manic Monday. Rogers Nelson was born in Minneapolis, Minnesota, June 7, 1958, to jazz singer Maddie Della and singer-songwriter John Lewis Nelson. He was named after his father's most popular stage name from the era when his parents were actually performing together, the Prince Rogers Trio. However, the young prince didn't really like his name that much and had all of his friends refer to him as Skipper. In fact, if you want to see what that little kid looked like, Check it out online where they uncovered video of him around the age of 10 or 11 during a teacher's strike, and it is uncanny how you can absolutely tell that it is Prince at a young age. It's just his smile, the look on his face, you know it's him, and it's so crazy that somebody just happened upon this video, like, just amazing. Anyways, Skipper or Prince... This kid was born with music in his blood, and is said to have written his very first song at the age of seven called Funk Machine on his father's piano. He was good enough to catch the eye of producer Jimmy Jam at the age of 15, and by 17, he was already recording with a band called 94 East as their guitarist. After making a demo of his own in 1976 at Chris Moon's studio in Minneapolis, Prince was unable to secure a recording contract, but seeing the potential in him, Moon brought his demo to a contact of his, Owen Husney, a Minnesota businessman who helped Prince get into Sound 80, record a better demo, and put a press kit together, which eventually gained him the attention of A&M, Columbia, and Warner Brothers, who he eventually signed with at the age of 19. On top of this, somehow Prince got WB to give him creative control for a three-album deal with them keeping the publishing rights, and he went right in to record his debut album, For You. Writing, producing, a arranging, composing, and playing all 27 instruments that were used on that album, which was released on April 7th, 1978. Well, all but one song, which had lyrics co-written by Chris Moon being soft and wet. Did I mention he was 19 at this point? All right, let's pause for a track and take a second to think about this. Here's a track that was originally released by Vanity 6, and then again by Apollonia 6, and it's a popular song out of that one movie that I'm going to get to in a little bit. Here's Sexual.
By the time he hit 20, Prince had two albums under his belt, For You and the self-titled Prince album, as well as a couple hits, including Why You Want to Treat Me So Bad and I Want to Be Your Lover. His third album, Dirty Mind, was recorded at his own studio and launched the hit Uptown, as well as put him on tour, opening for Rick James. By 1981, he released his fourth album, Controversy, and was one of the three supporting acts for the Rolling Stones on that tour, which didn't go over so well with their crowd because he was dressed in a trench coat and black bikini briefs. Check out the album Dirty Mind if you don't know what I'm talking about. Also in 1981, Prince formed a side project called The Time, of which he ended up releasing four albums between 81 and 1990. This was basically Prince performing all the instruments and giving the singer one of his first protégés, Morris Day, guide tracks to sing by. Now live, The Time had a full band, but not many knew that it was actually Prince that led this band and wrote nearly everything that they put out. Let's take another pause here and listen to one of those hits songs by the time that was also in that movie I've yet to discuss. Here's Jungle Love. Nineteen eighty-two brought the double album nineteen ninety-nine and the birth of his most celebrated band, The Revolution, though they would not be officially on a record sleeve until the following album in 1984. This double album produced two mega hits, being Little Red Corvette, as well as the title track 1999, in addition to some lesser hits like Delirious and Let's Pretend We're Married, the latter of the which got me in some serious hot water with my mom while jamming out in her van on the way to swim practice in 1983 or 84. Like I said, I really didn't know what he was saying, but it's Sounded good. I mean, whoops. I don't care. Ah, yes. 1984, the year that gave us a couple more evergreen hits by the Purple One, such as Let's Go Crazy, When Doves Cry, and of course, the title track from the album and movie that they hailed from, Purple Rain. Is there anyone who doesn't know these songs? I mean, it would seriously amaze me. They're just that popular. I mean, okay, I guess I get it if nobody's seen the movie, but Really? How have you not seen Purple Rain at this point? I mean, if you haven't seen the failed sequel Graffiti Bridge or even Under the Cherry Moon, that's fine. But Purple Rain? Come on! Jump online and download that immediately on whatever streaming service you pay attention to because it's just one of those rites of passage movies that everyone should see. Is the acting fantastic? Absolutely not. But does the soundtrack make up for it? Hell yeah, it does. Personally, I couldn't even count how many times I've seen that movie or the fact that I could literally lip sync every line out of the movie as well. But that's me. Anyways, Prince was on top of the world at this point. Between 1999 and Purple Rain, there really were no bigger albums of that era, save maybe his direct rival, Michael Jackson, with the Thriller album. So in 1985, he kept the momentum going with the next album, Around the World in a Day, which gave us his next hit, Raspberry Beret, and then followed up with Parade, the one that actually was the soundtrack for the Under the Cherry Moon album, and that one gave us the hit song, Kiss. At this point, Prince folded the revolution and went back into being a solo act. 
Though, let's be honest here, Prince has always been a solo act, and no matter which band he puts with him or which band he fronts from behind the scenes, it's always about Prince. And that's why he just kept the momentum going in 1987, releasing yet another double album, this time entitled Sign of the Times, which was a minor hit in addition to the hits You Got the Look and I Could Never Take the Place of Your Man. This, in my opinion, is one of his best overall albums from his entire career. He had matured to a point of being such a great artist and the diversity of the songs on the album are just all over the place, showing that he really could do just about anything. There's also a little bit going into how he'd written these songs for other people and his alter ego Camille, but that's a story for another time. 1988 brought the Love Sexy album with a picture of Naked Prince on the cover, a tad bit disturbing, but the minor hit Alphabet Street was quite satisfying, and then he lent his talents to DC Comics, or I suppose Hollywood themselves, and did the fantastic Batman album in 1989. You know, the one with Jack Nicholson and Michael Keaton, This Town Needs an Enema, all that kind of good stuff. This also brought us the scandalous 12-inch single with the scandalous sex suite. He just released so much material. I mean, because you gotta figure outside of the albums and the side projects he was doing. He had all of these maxi singles and, you know, EPs that were going on at the same time. He just recorded everything. But this is a great place to take a pause for another song before more changes in the Purple One's horizon, which are coming up at the dawn of the 1990s. How about this time I get into a song that was a decent-sized hit for another Prince protege and badass percussionist, Miss Sheila E. Here's a song called Glamorous Lights. Prince first introduced us to the NPG, or the New Power Generation, on the Graffiti Bridge soundtrack, which, like I mentioned earlier, was the failed follow-up movie to the original Purple Rain involving the same characters such as The Kid and Morris Day and The Time. It's not a terrible movie, but it just doesn't hold up the way Purple Rain has. Anyways, this new backup band would accompany him as his official backup band from the years 1990 all the way through 2013, though they were specifically credited on the albums Diamonds and Pearls, which gave us the self-titled hit song as well as Cream and Get Off, the Love Symbol album, which gave us My Name is Prince, Sexy MF, and Seven, as well as the albums One Night Alone Live, C-Note, and Planet Earth. In addition, there were three proper MPG albums from 1993, 95, and 98, although the last one is more or less just a Prince album. The ones from 93 and 95 featured lead singer Tony M on the first one and Sonny T on the second. It was 1993 following this Love Symbol album that Prince actually took that symbol for his very name as a way to get back at and retaliate and protest against his treatment by Warner Brothers Records, who were not only refusing to release his back catalog, but had actually taken out a trademark on his name for promotional purposes. 
So at this point, the artist formerly known as Prince did this as a way to get around their contracts and continue releasing stuff on his own. Though Prince didn't really score any hits post-92, he did release a whopping 25 more albums, 28 if you include the New Power Generation albums, and 29 if you include the New Power Generation Orchestra album released Kama Sutra in 1997. Of these albums, you have a little bit of everything from straight funk mixed with pop greatness to more experimental albums like 2001's Rainbow Children when he got back to a live drum sound, added a lot of horns, and it's a darker, more organic, funky, soulful sound, as well as 2003's jazzy instrumental album News, or Northeast, West, South, each direction a 14-minute instrumental track. Though sales were fairly poor on this album, it's a fantastic one to sit and groove out to. In fact, they all are. Right down to his last four albums with his final band, Third Eye Girl, which were all a little more straightforward, funk and roll style albums. I mean, overall, truthfully, there really haven't been any artists as prolific as Prince. I mean, I guess there's a few that come close, such as Mike Patton, and the one that I'm going to be featuring next week on Dig This, but realistically, there are very few who can say that they have this much recorded music. And we haven't really even started tapping into the resource that's in that vault in Paisley Park in Minnesota. Now, that particular conversation is a little touchy for me because I know Prince himself probably didn't want those things released, which is why he didn't release them. But the other side of me is like, this is all we have left of this amazing individual. And if we have a chance to hear all of these amazing things that he did throughout his life, that we've yet to put our ears on, I say, hell yeah, get him out there to the public. Prince may have been small in stature, but he was larger than life in actual size. He's certainly loved and respected as an artist and a singer and songwriter, but he was also a phenomenal guitarist, not to mention everything else that he played likely to perfection. Not many could sit and command a crowd with only a piano and a microphone the way that he did either. Plus, it's not just the stuff that he wrote for himself, but all the side projects, protégés, and songs that he wrote for other people. I mean, this guy's music touched so many individuals, and yet, I feel there are so many people that don't know the true power of Prince outside of his hits. And that's a shame. And I, for one, am going to wave that flag to make sure as many people I can turn on to him, I do. I just want to say that there are few bands and artists that change and define an entire generation. And I'm pretty damn proud that Gen X can claim Prince as ours. This last track I'm going to play was originally written for a band called The Family, which was kind of an offshoot of the time after they crumbled and Morris Day went solo. But Sinead O'Connor took this song and made it a mega hit in 1990. You know exactly where I'm going with this. This is nothing compares to you, and I'm sending it straight out to the purple one himself. Rest in peace, Prince. You will forever be missed. Dig this. This has been Dig This here inside the Electric Lounge of Oral Ecstasy. If you look in the description box for this show, you can find links to all my other shows as well as to a playlist for the original track list of this very show that you just heard. You can also reach out to me on Instagram at Official Electric Lounge. And until next time, peace, love, and music.